There is no truth. Some of the most meaningless and baseless statements that have been made in the modern and postmodern age are those that mean to state something that one should believe but cannot because of the foolishness of the statement itself. The obvious question that one must ask in response to this statement that there is no truth is then, how can I believe you? In one foul swoop, the naturalist, nihilistic view of truthlessness destroys itself. Because if there is no truth, then the statement is already self-defeating. I can walk away without debate or further discussion. But this is the foundation upon which the relativist declares to stand on. But it is no foundation at all. Ironically, it's a world of make-believe which now says your truth is the only truth. The rules are made up as we go along only to be tossed out in the recycling bin, rewritten, repackaged, and even rebranded to fit the new day. Truth becomes as disposable as our modern 21st century lives. In today and gone tomorrow. But at some point, time reminds us that no matter how much we want to turn back the clock or to run it forward, no amount of dreaming or cool tech can change the truth of our existence. We can play make-believe as much as we want with our gizmos, our devices, and, and our storytelling, but ultimately... In the end, we're left with the reality that we are not masters of the universe, nor of our own individual universes. We're subject to it. Yes, we have the power to make our own choices. But as simple as the cause and effect principle, our choices do not change the rules. They simply affect the outcome of our destiny within the confines of our universe as we know it. No amount of truth denial or reimagination can change what has been, what is now, and what is to come. It's as futile as keeping the sun from rising or finding that pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow. As we have searched for the answers of our existence to understand our own longing for meaning, we have asked the most important questions that we can ask throughout our own lifetime. That of our origins, the life we live in right now, and ultimately where we're going. There is no greater question, there are no greater questions to get at the meaning of life. These questions already assert an absolute truth. We can't come from nowhere or nothing. Our cries for justice and our acts of self-sacrifice towards one another, our, our neighbors, those in need, etc., they already prove life to have worth and to have value. Therefore, they have purpose. And the hope we have of something better for our future to dare to see the unseen and to believe. And here we find 
that we aren't just a collection of proteins coming together randomly in some primordial soup that no one was around to witness in the first place. But nor is it necessary that I be present at creation to prove that God exists, because the innate beauty and complexity of the human mind, the human body, with its intricate structure from the skin to the sinew and muscle and bone that holds us together, to the infinitesimal strands of DNA encoded with our distinctness, and to the consciousness and the depths of the human soul, and, the, and th these things are themselves evidence of a dynamic and intentional designer. The evidence is us. No amount of limited human ingenuity has been able to recreate life in such a way, even with all of its experimentation. Nor can science promise a life outside of the confines of our mortality. Naturalism leaves the human race hopeless with its own model of nothingness, from nothingness to nothingness. And this is where the human spirit and the boldness of hope become even stronger than just cold numbers and theories that masquerade as fact, only to decay into the nothingness science so strongly advocates for. You know, it reminds me of the words of the late Martin Luther King when he accepted the Nobel Prize in 1964. In his remarks, he boldly affirms the faith that exists in the human heart. Quote, I refuse to accept the idea that the isness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere flotsam and jetsam in the river of life which surrounds him. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. I still believe that one day mankind will bow before the altars of God and be crowned triumphant over war and bloodshed. And the lion and the lamb shall lie down together, and every man shall sit under his own vine and fig tree, and none shall be afraid. I still believe that we shall overcome. Unquote. The question must be asked of those who believe in nothing. How is it that truth cannot exist when men, like Martin Luther King, like Jesus, or women like Mother Teresa, and others of the like, have shown us that because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and life is not meaningless, but valued above all that is material, can and should be fought for. It is why we value peace, love, and brotherhood for all and seek out after it. It is why we today have medical workers and nurses, doctors in the hospitals working to serve the needs of the sick, making sure that they can do what they can to save lives that naturalism otherwise says will expire someday anyway with no possibility of return. And yet we fight on. We don't just sit and accept what is happening around us. Today the world is seeking after hope. 
We seek after life and restoration. We seek after redemption. It's why the truth about Jesus stands the test of time and has outlasted all of those who've tried to extinguish him and those who believe in him. But today, especially today, when the world lies in the shadow of death and of suffering, that the belief in the resurrection of Jesus is further proof of our value of the truth that life ultimately wins and that where we're going isn't into some future extinction, but a new and renewed life. This is the truth of us. It is our inheritance to claim and ours to have. It's incredible to think that in a time of such accessibility, invention, and, and entrepreneurship, that the skeptic and the cynic suddenly become representative of sophistication and knowledge. In the postmodern age, curiosity and skepticism have become synonymous with one another. Curiosity, however, asks the questions with the understanding that there are answers on the other side, while the skeptic is never satisfied with the answers that they may find, eating away at them until finally their own doubt eats away at themselves. Take the question asked by a student to his professor. How do I know I exist? The student asks, to which the professor answers, and whom shall I say is asking? One cannot question or deny one's own existence without affirming it at the same time. It's a destructive death spiral that today is now the tool of choice to use within what is labeled as scholarly. But at whose expense? And this is what ultimately distinguishes Jesus from all the other founders or worldviews that we've been looking at. He claims to be the truth. And it then logically follows that what he claims to be is exclusive to everything else. This is where the skeptic attempts to peel away every single layer upon layer of skin, trying to find the center of an onion until there's nothing left for him to consume, leaving him as stinky and smelly as before. And history shows us that no matter how much man has attempted to engineer a utopia through political theory and philosophy, this idea that man on his own can take what is within himself to create a society free of injustice and inequity has always proven futile. In fact, in all of those cases, millions have died either by genocide or war. And within these theories of humanism, there's always been a claim of all-inclusiveness, but the end result has always been the exclusion of the many. 
for the benefit of the few. In the end, human greed, lust, and selfishness, these things which Jesus points out as the fallenness of human nature, have continued to be the cause of the demise of the human race. So far, Jesus' own life, his diagnosis and prognosis of the human race are proven right. And here the contrast is painfully obvious. As the nations call for equality and tolerance, the more that others are excluded and left out. The exclusive truth, however, that Jesus claims is inclusive to all who believe. No one is left out except those who choose to be. Why is it that so many are drawn to him? It's because of who he is. The essence of love, mercy, and grace, and service that we all continually cry out for. His message is that all matter, but that all are broken. All of us need healing. All need restoration. But if we cannot accept that we are in fact in need of changing, that we are flawed and broken, then there is in fact nothing that can be done for us. A sick patient insisting he does not need a doctor is a man convinced that he can go on living in the same condition he finds himself in, only to find that the truth of his condition will ultimately take its natural course. I mean, just take the pandemic. Why are we all right now taking precautions? Why are we in quarantine? Because we believe that the risk of, con of, of contracting a virus that has already claimed the lives of so many worldwide can infect us if we're careless. So we take actions to protect ourselves and others in our local community by mitigating our contact with others. We accept the undeniable truth that we are all susceptible. And that's why we take the precautions and listen to the advice being given. Now, <laughs> there have been others, however, that have decided that we aren't as at risk as everyone's saying. We're stronger than that. We can beat this thing. Even churchgoers have defied the virus as something that can't hurt us. And how many of these have been infected or have infected others because of the deniability of what is, un what is undeniably true? Is sin the problem of the human race? So far, the evidence of our flawed nature has shown time and time again that we have fallen short and need something or someone beyond ourselves in order to really become what Jesus says we can become made new. Somehow, many among the postmodern intellectuals have thought to have liberated themselves and the world by evicting the idea of accountability and the morality is simply another form of control manufactured by the establishment. We're free as long as we tolerate everyone and all and hurt no one at all. And I suppose in a world of seven billion people, living with each other, with their own truth, each one, each person with their own truth, that this utopia can be accomplished. Do you see the possibility of that happening?
but in a pluralistic world, ever-growing intolerant of opposing viewpoints, especially on matters such as religion, God, sexuality, race, and the idea of absolute truth, how can anyone think that such a utopia can be realized? And Jesus doesn't waste time on creating a utopia here on earth. He sets the bar even higher. By his own life, he shows us who God really is and seals it with his own blood by saying he'll die so that we can live. How is that manipulation? How is that not freedom? Even modern day psychologists such as Hobart Moore makes this startling statement about the human condition. He says, for several decades... We psychologists looked upon the whole matter of sin and moral accountability as a great incubus and acclaimed our liberation from it as epic-making. But at length, we have discovered that to be free in this sense, that is, to have the excuse of being sick rather than sinful, is to court the danger of also becoming lost and becoming amoral, ethically neutral and free. We have cut the very roots of our being, lost our deepest sense of selfhood and identity. And with neurotics themselves, we find ourselves asking, who am I? What is my deepest destiny? What does living mean? So even science, behavioral science, admits to the issue and problem of sin. What Jesus does ultimately is to give us an uncensored and raw look at ourselves. This is who we are, marred at every level, depraved and flawed, sick and dying, but not unwanted. There is the key difference of Jesus, who he is, and what he represents. In all of our depravity, shame, hatred, anger, doubt, fear, and anxiety, we're not unwanted. He doesn't reject us. He doesn't ignore us. He makes it his purpose to make sure we know that he wants us right now. Not after some religion has gotten its hands on, on us and dressed us up, made us look like uh, their own representation of what it means to be moral or good. And after uh, some repeated religious rites and exercises that a guru or priest has assigned for you and I to do. No, see, all of that is just noise. No, who you are now, who I am now, and our legacy up to now is nobody's business except your own. It's between you and Jesus who doesn't exclude you or mark you as less than. He makes you his business, who you are and what you're worth. And what are you worth? Everything. You're worth dying for right now. And he does just that. What is it that the world now offers you or that any human-engineered utopia can offer that tops all of that. You and I matter. That is the truth Jesus claims. 
that's the truth that really and truly sets you and I free. Resurrection is nowhere near anything that science can explain. But does that make it untrue or impossible? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most debated and at the same time one of the most accepted events in human history. One thing separates the skeptic and the believer. Faith. That's it. I can sit here and ramble off one thing after another to try and convince you that the, rex- that the resurrection of Jesus is irrefutable. But that would be a waste of time. And here's why. What you believe and what I believe is irrelevant to truth. It really is. Because truth doesn't depend on you or on me believing in it in order to qualify the truth as truth. It's truth all on its own merit. Can you or I believe that COVID-19 is not actually a pandemic? Sure. You can believe that all you want. But it doesn't change what's true, what's right there. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ stands today as one of the most researched, debated, commemorated, told, and retold historical events worldwide. And it still stands today as one of the most celebrated and beloved, while at the same time being the most hated and rejected. And I cannot understand how life, how salvation and restoration can be such a controversial idea, especially in a world that today stands in such need of saving. Look for it and tell me if any other worldview offers what Jesus offers. You can't find it. It just isn't there. Philip Schaff, a a noted historian and scholar, makes this statement about Jesus. Quote, This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since, and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. 
without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Unquote. The story of redemption is not scientific or religious. It's neither literary or academic. It isn't political or pragmatic. It is truth. No other worldview offers what Jesus has offered and still offers today. Complete salvation from this world to a new world. He is the greatest hope of the human race. As he lived, he invites us to live. As he died, he offers us perpetual life. And as he resurrected, he promises us to come again. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to The Truth Reel. For more information and details about this episode, go to truthreel.transistor.fm. Again, that's truthreel.transistor.fm. And you can subscribe to our podcast where all podcasts can be found. Come and continue the journey.